Hi and welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark LaRoost, and this is the show about what it's really like to turn your message into a movement and the ups and downs of what it takes to build a purpose-driven business. And we learn from lessons from both, from inspiring guests from around the world who come into my pop-up studio in London, and we have one-to-one conversations. Now, I can't wait to share with you today's powerful conversation, but before I get into that, I wanted to give you a warm welcome if you're new to the show. And if you've been around for a while, you know I love you. And, and today's unconventionalist fan of the week is Guy Smarty Pants, who wrote this on iTunes with a five-star rating. I have been dipping into the unconventionalist podcast and can't wait to get stuck into more of them. Mark is positive and spreads positive ideas and suggestions. And for that reason, I will be listening to every single one of these podcasts. Over a period of time, not back-to-back, I'm not a psychopath. Thanks so much, Guy. I really appreciate you. And if you want to leave a rating and review, please go and do that on iTunes. And I'd love to be able to feature you as the unconventionalist fan of the week. Go and do that right now. Pause this podcast. Go and leave a rating and review. It means the world to me. Now, in case you didn't know, this podcast is now available pretty much everywhere. It's on YouTube. So if you want to see the video of us having a conversation in, in our in, in our pop-up studios here in Camden, then go and check that out on youtube.com forward slash Mark LaRoost. And then, of course, you can find this podcast on every platform now, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else where you normally get your podcasts. I've got a really cool announcement to make. Uh, this has been something that a lot of you have been asking me to get involved with and to start again. I will be launching on the 20th, I will be running, sorry, on the 20th of September, my signature one-day bootcamp on how to launch a world-class podcast from scratch. So, If you've been wanting to scratch that itch of becoming a podcaster and getting your message out there and interviewing some of the most amazing people you know in your industry and you just want to get involved but you've been getting stuck because of technicalities, the fear of not having a clearer concept of a show, then trust me, this day is for you. I've, I've helped over 300 plus students come through my program and it's it's one of those things that I get so much joy and pleasure from because when people leave and go and do the work, things happen. Like if you want to find out a bit more about that, go to marklaroos.com and go and check out on boot camps or live events. It's going to be all up there. And I can't wait. It's going to be really, really exciting. So if you want to get your tickets, there's some eager beaver tickets. That's even before the early bird tickets that are available. Um, and you can get them, go and get them now. So really excited about that. Uh, the quote I want to read to you, and I want to kick off today's episode actually with this, is a quote by Jim Carrey. Now, I might have read this in a previous episode because it's a podcast I really, really love. Uh, it's a quote I really, really love. And the quote is, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Now, I find it a really, really powerful quote because it's a quote that I've actually lived in the sense that when I graduated from university, after going from like a poor student of working as a dish pig and waiter and, and not being able to do all the things that I was seeing people around me doing, I got a job, a corporate job, and, and I made really good money. And suddenly I had everything that you could imagine uh, that you would want to in a dream job. I was living abroad. I had um, you know a driver, I had a chef. I was living in these luxurious accommodation. I had everything. And, 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 I, and I still wasn't happy. I wasn't fulfilled. And that's because material possessions don't give us necessary joy, like obviously basics and a few items might. And so today's guest is someone who I could not imagine a better person to speak about. Now, if you've heard of the movement 
of minimalism or the minimalists. You might even seen a documentary on Netflix called Minimalism. Well, the original person who inspired all of that and the, the, the guy who's behind really this crazy moon of minimalism is today's guest, Colin Wright. Now, if you haven't seen the documentary or if you've never heard of Colin Wright before, you're going to be blown away by his story. It's a story of someone who's gone from having it all to deciding to leave it all to go off on an adventure to live abroad like a local and then every four months have his audience on his blog decide where he would go next. He did that for seven years and he lived out of a backpack pretty much, a small suitcase. And the really funny thing is, as I was going through my research and documents and stuff, I found a conversation that we started back in December 2014. That's five years ago. When I asked Colin what kind of camera was he using and he kindly replied. And then again, in 2016, I jumped in a conversation that he was having <laughs> with someone else. And I, I was like, hey, from, from the Middle Finger Project. I was like, hey, do you want to come on the show? And he was like, yeah. And it took us that long for him to come on the show. So I'm really, really excited. This is someone that defies convention. We talked about, you know, life. We talked about death. We talked about relationships. But more importantly, we talked about work. We talked about why doing what you love is more important than doing what you think you should be doing to get more money, to buy things you don't need, to impress people you don't like. It's a really, really powerful conversation. I have no doubt I'll be hearing from you. If you want to hear about all the show notes and all the conversations and topics we talk about, you can get those over on the show notes at markruse.com forward slash episode forward slash one two one. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I am honored and excited to introduce to you the one and only, the original minimalist, Colin Wright. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you very it's much. Good for to have you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glad we can make this happen for for people just tuning in, whether that's in the podcast or, or on YouTube. Um, I reached out. I think I jumped on a conversation between you and Ash. Um, I forgot her surname now. Amber J. That's it. Ah. On Twitter, and I think you were in London, and I was like, "Hey, totally jumping on your uh, conversation here, but love to get you in the show." And she's like, "Yeah, let's do it." It never happened, and here we are, four, not five years later. It's an amazing world five that we later. live in. Did yeah. you manage to get her on? Did you ask her? No, yeah, she was, she was going to come on. It didn't, it didn't happen either. She's, so she's kind of all over the place. She's a very yeah, busy yeah. woman. Next time she comes by London, we'll make it happen. How are you enjoying London? Oh, I love it. It's yeah. always nice to have an excuse to come back here. Yeah. yeah. When did you get here? March, something, no? Yeah, uh, April, this time around. Okay. I came for a quick visit in March and did a tour stop yeah. uh, just because. Okay. Uh, really, I was coming to visit my girlfriend. Sure. But, uh, that was the main excuse. But yeah. then I thought, well, why not help pay for the expenses of travel? <laughs> Let's do a tour stop here. Did one in March, did another one this time around. Yeah. Arrived mid-April, leaving mid-May. Cool, man. Look, I'm really excited to get you on the show. I think a ton of people are going to get a, a lot of value out of you or even out of this conversation. No pressure whatsoever. <laughs> but um, no, but one of the reasons is I was kind of looking into your background and, and the show's called The Unconventionalists. And when it comes down to living an unconventional lifestyle, <laughs> the thought... Colin might fit the bid for that. that That's a very cool. kind label for it. Yeah. yeah. Weird is another one I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's one of the most common questions you get? I get a lot of people very politely trying to figure out how I pay for groceries and rent. Yeah. Like very, very yeah, yeah. carefully tiptoeing yeah. around. Because for a lot of people, it's a very easy question. What, sure. what is your career? What do you sure. do for a living? Yeah. And all of the things that I list are typically things that people don't associate with bringing in tons of money. Right. Or if they do, it's like, oh, you write books. Right. Well, so why are you not living like a millionaire? Well, <laughs> 
that'd be nice. But unfortunately, you know, I'm able to, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to make a living off of my books yeah. and to make a side living off of a couple other projects sure. like touring and like my podcast. Yeah. But these are all things that, that typically when cool. I mention them, people associate them with like really nice hobbies yeah. or things that people do oh, cute. when they that's don't nice. have to worry about money yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then they maybe politely, oh, he inherited money or something. So he can, <laughs> he can afford to do these things. No, no, I just I yeah. li live within my means and I make enough to do what I want sure. to do. And then I try to, to shape my life uh, in such a way yeah. that the stuff that I do for work is the stuff I would do, the, the stuff that I would be doing. Yeah, anyway. yeah. I get that. Yeah. But we, you know, it, I'm sure you've gone back through the origin story. I don't know how many times I was looking to a bunch of your interviews and online and audio, and it seems like it's always the kind of same questions. At the same time, it's so hard to avoid because it's such <laughs> a part of, I guess, of, of 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 one of the message around intentionality mm. and and purpose that you kind of you've been carrying around, and that's, you know, you had this kind of at least on paper it seemed that you had everything. Down, you had like this branding agency in LA, uh, according to Forbes, like 150k a year. I think that was kind of like the number that was thrown around. But what I loved about that part of, of your story, which I think is I haven't heard you talk too much about, is your relationships. You were in a relationship with someone. You guys went to Vancouver on a trip, first time you left America, and on that conversation back, you kind of realized a few things. Yeah, yeah, and we both realized it at yeah. about the same time during the same conversation. We we sat down for a drink. We were listening to some music, and yeah. we both realized that oh my god, I think, I think we're staying together for mm. the kids. But in this case, the kids don't exist. Was our lifestyle yeah, yeah. like this kind of work hard, play hard yeah. lifestyle where we were trying to be like the center the of our social circle, the, somewhat of a power couple within yeah. certain scenes, like trying to to really live that life. Yeah, and we were staying together to a certain degree for that life yeah and there were definitely benefits to it and sure. there were aspects that i think we both enjoyed from it but yeah. both of us had been speaking on the what i might describe as the outskirts of conversation about uh other things that we wanted to be doing yeah that we weren't able to do but that we do maybe someday got it and i think we both realized in that moment that that someday probably wouldn't show up. <laughs> or or if it did, maybe we'd both be in our 70s or 80s. Wow. And by that point, of course, all of the dynamics would have changed. Sure. So pursuing this old dream that we had from our early 20s wouldn't make much yeah. sense anyway. Yeah. So having that realization simultaneously helped. Right. I was Because one of the questions I was going to ask you is, I think when you look at the story, it's like, wow, like you both came and had a very mature kind of conversation around. It feels like we should have, like, I think she suggested to have a breakup party. She, she said it somewhat jokingly. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then we both kind of just like laughed and nodded and like, actually, that sounds very us. That sounds like a really interesting, fun thing to do. Yeah. It's going to freak out our friends, yeah. but, you know, they'll get it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and change it, the Facebook status. I mean, back then, you yeah, know, Facebook status was a big deal. That it's was, complicated. Yes. Or, we changed uh, Facebook statuses to single wow. the, the night of the breakup party to yeah. formalize it in the eyes of the public. So it was something yeah. that it, it gave us the excuse. That conversation yeah. was the catalyst mm. for a bigger conversation yeah. that then allowed us to recognize what was actually important Got and it. to try to act upon what was actually important one of the things that also struck me is when you were looking at your mentors kind of the people in in, in your environment people who want to take you on as your proteges or, or, or whatever the term is these days and you thought okay great you know they made a million they made 10 million 100 million then a billion but they never actually acted upon their dreams yeah and one guy in particular who whose name i won't mention but big money guy billionaire very impressive guy i was yeah. very fortunate to learn a whole lot from him about yeah. business and mm -hmm. he he liked the way that i approached business and mm -hmm. offered to make me his protege sure. introduced me to his Groom old you. protégés and showed me how wealthy they were how fancy their cars were yeah. and you know there were elements of that that i'm like okay yeah. this is great it's nice how, how old are you this, so this is 10 years you must have been 24 uh ish at that point i was 23 23 okay and 24 yeah. that the vacation that i took okay. with my girlfriend was yeah. for my 24th birthday okay 
So 23, I'm being told, hey, you're very good at this. Yeah. And there's this dude who's super impressive and has <laughs> all the things that you think you want telling you that you're good at yeah. this. And yeah, well, were, I, I think I want those things too. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, all of it sounded great, but I got the formal offer for that, yeah. like to come work for him. Yeah after I already got back from that vacation. Mm. And so basically here I was, I had now all of these old ideals that as far as anybody mm. else knew, I was still clinging to and sure. pursuing. Sure. But then I had this new idea that I was allowing myself to consider, this idea that I could travel now mm. rather than decades in the future as kind mm. of, that, that was the idea that I had mm -hmm. in my head. I'd make my millions and then I'd go travel because that was apparently what I suspected you needed to do <laughs> at the time. And that overwhelmed everything despite all the the crazy benefits of being taken under his wing in yeah. this way and right. just pursuing the course that I was on anyway it's all the things I would have gotten it's almost like you were trying to kill the old part of you in order to, <laughs> to like reborn and it was calling you back to a certain degree yeah. and I, not necessarily kill it just to like those new prospects yeah. were so uh they were so compelling yeah they were just so much so many of the things that I'd always wanted but was afraid to acknowledge because I couldn't have them yet and I was telling myself, mm. you could probably actually have that. Is yeah. it because it, when I couldn't have them there? Is, is that is that the kind of the story you were telling yourself about? I'll only be able to go travel when I dot dot dot. Yeah. Well, so okay. I grew up in the U.S. Midwest yeah. in a state called Missouri, yeah. and. If you've ever been to any flyover state and talked to somebody about travel, the perception of travel is that it's crazy expensive because from yeah. the Midwest, it is. Yeah. It is cheaper to fly from New York to Asia to London right. to Europe than it is to fly from New York to Missouri. But that's crazy. I, I heard this the other day that one of my team members, uh, Ryan McGee, probably listening to this, when he heard the cost of flights from London to Italy, he couldn't believe it. He mm. thought... It would cost me twice as much to go from New York to Miami. Yeah, yeah. It's it's insane. And the Midwest is just such a vast expanse of land. You can drive for days and not hit anything. Right. Um, and that was my perception. I was right. living in this island of land in the middle of a great big continent. <laughs> and to me, then, travel meant you had to be a millionaire. Sure. So for me, the goal was always to, to make start money. some businesses, yeah. make a bunch of money, yeah. do have that traditional metric of success, mm. and then somehow mm. do what no one seems to do mm. and pull yourself out of that that rat wheel mm. and go off and do something completely opposite to that. Got it. Do you uh, remember the first time you were exposed to the concept of traveling? No. Like as a kid, is there, is there something you saw on TV? Yeah. Is there some? You know, that's not something I've really thought about before, but now that you say it, I think my dad had National Geographic magazines, okay. like all of them. Yeah. He had like all the National Geographic yeah, yeah. magazines. Yeah. And I remember paging through those things just thinking, this is all so different. <laughs> this is, <laughs> <Than> Missouri. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Where are these places? Yeah. I haven't heard of any of these places. And like being down in his study and like playing with the globe yeah. and just looking at all these countries I'd never heard of and trying to understand it. And the more into just learning sure. and collecting knowledge mm. and experiences I became, the more I realized I had these great big gaping holes in my mental map mm -hmm. of the way that the world worked. Mm. And uh, I had such a two-dimensional view of things, too, because I'd only ever seen it from sure. one perspective. So it is, you know, fake 3D stereoscopic vision, sure. but I hadn't seen things from different angles that yeah. travel allows you to do. Yeah, 100%. And so you end up in L.A., yeah. yeah, 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 and so, so you, you going back to the story. So you, your mentors kind of like come and work for me. You know, let me groom you into this world, <laughs> and you're like, I've just made this decision already, mm. and so um, there's a transition period about four months. Yeah, I gave myself a four month yeah. runway, which at the time seemed like an immense amount. Of yeah. Time. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
in retrospect, yeah. it, it probably now when I tell people to do that to build a runway, yeah. I usually say take a year. Yeah, yeah, take yeah, hundred percent. Take yeah, as yeah. much time as you yeah, need. Yeah, you'll need it. Um, for me, fortunately, <laughs> it worked out okay for me because if I'd given myself that much longer. Mm there's a chance I might have backtracked yeah, yeah. or hedged or something 100%. like that. And as it was, it was such a finite amount of time. I had just enough time yeah. to finish up the projects that I had on my docket yeah. to hand off my clients, most of them, to yeah. other people who I knew would take care of them mm-hmm. and to pay off all of my debt. Yeah. And in there somewhere, I also gave away everything that I owned that would not fit into carry-on luggage yeah. and started up a blog called yeah. XL Lifestyle. Right. And and just I just want to pause it for a second because I think you know minimalism and the minimalists and Marie Kondo and all this kind of you know, movement in the, over the last five years or six years has kind of grown. Mm. But this is pre kind of big hype around minimum. You didn't even know there was a name, even though you said, I heard you once say it's been around for thousands of years. Yeah. But you just thought like, okay, I need to get rid of this stuff just from a practical perspective because if I'm going to travel, I can't have this stuff with me. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was just thinking, well, I could keep all of this really nice stuff I've accumulated yeah. and maybe keep an apartment and keep it in that yeah. or get a storage space. And the ridiculousness of paying rent for stuff (laughs) hit me. And I just thought, on top of that, on top of it being ridiculous and having this additional expense that I don't need, because I'm trying to reduce my expenses, because I'm definitely reducing my workload, the fact that I was taking all of this really nice stuff I wasn't going to be using, Mm. and probably never would again, and locking it up somewhere for the sole purpose of not allowing anyone else to use it. It felt like Pharaoh burying yeah. his yeah, riches yeah, yeah. so that no one else, you know, and I just pictured all of these really yeah. nice computers and clothes yeah. gathering dust. Did and you then, really have eight computers? I mean, I read somewhere I, yeah, that you it, had like something stupid. It might, and it was actually more monitors than that. Three printers. <laughs> what were you doing with I, You know, when people don't have money when they're kids and yeah. then they get money all yeah. of a sudden, yeah, yeah. they make very stupid decisions sure. in a lot of cases. Yeah. I was no exception. <laughs> um, I never got into cars or anything like that, but yeah. technology, I was all LCD screens, baby. Dude, I had these so many 30 inch screens and yeah. printers and, and a very impressive at home network, sure. let's be honest, but sure. it was unnecessary. It was yeah, yeah. completely superfluous. And when I got rid of it mm. and only kept to the stuff that I actually needed, so many people got really great stuff that they were actually Needed. using yeah. that I was never going to use again. But and it was hard. It was harder than you expected. I mean, I read somewhere that you said that you had a garage sale room. Yes. And that you were actually surprised. Like it was actually quite hard to find, you know, to find the people <laughs> that would actually use it as opposed to just kind of flog it. It was actually longer than you expected. It, it took essentially the whole four months yeah. to from beginning to end. Uh, yeah. And we had to set aside a separate room at the townhouse yeah. to get rid of all this stuff because yeah. it was a lot of stuff, first yeah. of all. Um, but also it takes a moment to change your perception of the things that you have. Mm. And at first it was very important to me that every single thing I'd taken so much time and resources to acquire went to somebody very Mm. specific. And at a certain point I realized that just as I was imbuing these things with meaning that they didn't have before Mm. in in a different way, now I was imbuing them with a different type of meaning that I needed to control their trajectory through life. Not realizing that one, my idea about this was not always great. People didn't want the things that I yeah. wanted to give them Sure, you need another printer. It's like, dude, I picture you having this thing. It's important to me that you own this thing. That's like somebody giving you like a really ugly sweater and it being very important to yeah. them that you it wear it. It means a lot to me, Yes, Colin. exactly. Yeah. Like foisting your ideas. Yeah, my grandmother gave me this. It's so important. Uh, I had that with books in particular. Yeah. Like you must have, it's been so meaningful to yeah. me. I think you should have it. And people are like, yeah, okay. I don't have a bookshelf, <laughs> but uh, I have an ebook yeah. version of this yeah, yeah, already. Yeah. Uh, and once I 
got past that though. It was a whole lot easier. I okay. could donate it to people who are good at curating these things mm -hmm. and getting it out to people who actually need, need them it. rather than being limited. What was the, what was the hardest item for you to, to, do you remember like, was there a particular item that you really kind of struggled with parting ways back then? You know, yes, yes. Uh, and actually, I didn't get rid of it, ultimately. Okay. I, I kept a full tailored suit with me. Okay. The, the first several countries that I went to. <laughs> and it, it was only after like three countries after getting back from Thailand. You were carrying your tailored suit yeah, around. Yeah, I, I had a specific <laughs> compartment in my bag for my tailored okay. suit. Just thinking, well, I'm going to need one. And yeah. I'm going to feel like an idiot when I don't yeah, have yeah, yeah. it. So I'll just have this tailored suit. And it's expensive. Suit. You know, I might as well keep it. Exactly. Yeah. And at a certain point, like after living in Bangkok for a while, yeah. and I was wearing like big baggy blousey tra yeah. trousers all day yeah. and like t-shirts and I had never put on a collared shirt in yeah. all that time much less a, a suit, suit. Yeah. and then I realized oh man I haven't opened that compartment in my bag even yeah. in the entire year that I've been traveling it's okay. probably time to get rid of it 100% so you you launched this blog and it's kind of like okay I'm going to share my experience of what it's like to kind of what would we call now declutter or streamline whatever the word is and you come up with this concept of asking your readers where you should go next. Mm. And Argentina is voted by uh, what, about 500 people or something like that? Or yeah, it was, it was about 500 on the first vote. Yeah. And it was really, it was kind of a, for my benefit yeah. thing. Uh, I had no idea where to go. I had yeah. never left the country at that point. And I yeah. thought literally everyone else on the planet has, they have a better idea of yeah. where to go. More details about this, more perspective mm -hmm. than I do. Let's let them decide. Yeah. Um, but then it was also a good way. I wanted to get other people thinking about where they would mm -hmm. go and get them engaged with the process yeah. and create kind of a community around these ideas. 100%. And that it turned out to be a really good way to do that. And it made it 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 became sort of a selling point for the things that I was talking yeah. about. Kind of a, a weird method of randomization. I could have done it in other ways. Sure. I could have thrown a dart at a dartboard. This was a way that got people engaged and got people thinking about <laughs> it and got people predicting that like, you know, Reddit or 4chan would come in and send me to North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> So this is what I was thinking. I was thinking about when I was researching this interview. I thought, what if you got a really random country? Would you have like lied? <laughs> was it public? Would you have gone like, oh no, I'd never got North Korea. I mean, why would I? <laughs> you know, and then select the second one. I, I would actually, if that won, I would totally go if I could legally go. Okay. I think, especially years ago, maybe it's a little bit trickier now, but yeah. years ago there were options. Yeah. I totally would have gone. Okay. The, the idea, the reason that worked for me in particular is that I didn't want to go to the places that I knew about, like mm. the places that me, someone who had not mm. traveled, had heard about and had a perception right. that would be a good place to like go. Come, go to Czech Republic, you know, it's like an amazing, and you'd be like, I would have never thought about exactly. that, but it sounds like a good plan. I went to Romania. I yeah. never would have thought, yeah. if, if you would have asked me my top 50 places yeah. to go, they yeah. would have all been places that people I knew had gone on their sure. honeymoon. Um, Romania was an amazing place. Czech yeah. Republic was an amazing place. Yeah. They were not places that were even on my radar because I was so ignorant about the world. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to benefit from that Got kind it. of crowdsourcing method. Yeah, yeah. So you're in Argentina. Mm. So this, by the way, when you when you left, when you left with that first, whatever it was, suitcase or onboarding bag, whatever, did you have an intention of coming back? Was it like, okay, this is a 12-month thing and I come back in a year? Like, was there a plan of of making this a temporary thing? Or did you just see, um, I don't know what the next 12 months, two years are gonna look like, I'm just gonna follow the flow. Kind of a combination of yeah. the two. I, I wasn't sure and I was telling myself I would check in after a year. So I'd okay. do it for at least a year, even if yeah. it truly sucked and I absolutely hated it, mm -hmm. I would do it for a year. Yeah. Uh, I tend to do that with a lot of my projects. Okay. I try to make it an experimental period yeah. so that I have a moment at which I'm going to check in yeah. regardless. Okay. And that gives me the opportunity to then recalibrate or make tweaks or change or completely pivot to something else entirely. Mm -hmm. So it was meant to be a year uh, at least, 
beyond that, I had in the back of my mind, well, maybe that'll be enough, and then I'll come back and I'll start things up again. Yeah, I mean, and one of the things, because when I was going this, like, okay, so in Argentina, you don't speak Spanish, you find yourself in some different situations where you kind of like, is this, is this, because it's the second country after Canada that you visited. Yeah, and actually, so the the deeper uh, a point that doesn't really matter for that yeah. first story is that we tried to go to Canada yeah but uh, she I think she one of us forgot our passport I think she forgot her passport but <laughs> sorry to her if, I, if it was me uh, one of us forgot our passport and so we actually went up to the border ah. and didn't make it all the way in and then had to go back down and so that conversation took place in Seattle got it's, it it's not vital to the yeah, story yeah, of but course <laughs> I like it I like that the deeper level and um. Did, was, what was the country after Argentina? Because you did Argentina. Mm -hmm. And I guess the first question I have around that is that what did you learn about yourself? Mm. About putting yourself in that in a di completely different environment, putting yourself in a very uncomfortable situation. We don't speak the language. And I guess if you look at it back now, how did that inform the rest of your journey of the last 10 years? It, it, put, uh, it made very clear that there was so much that I didn't know, mm. but also there were, that I was capable of learning those okay. things. Um, I wasn't sure if that was going to be the case. I did not have any perception of myself in terms of being streetwise or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. It wasn't. I knew I was good at school. Yeah. I, I knew I was pretty good at business, okay. but that has nothing to do with going into an unfamiliar country right. and living. Yeah. Um, and it turned out, and, and this is not something exclusive to me, but yeah. it is possible to go into a place where you don't know the language, where you don't know anybody, and to go in and meet people mm. and build vital relationships that are real mm -hmm. and important and long-lasting and to see the world from a slightly different angle for a time right. right that was an incredibly important lesson for me yeah mad and i, d and I don't know what point but i think you went to new zealand at some point because this is part of the story that i hear yeah coming I, up I a few times this did you get punched in peru you got punched <laughs> in the gay bar didn't you it was yeah that was in peru wasn't it in lima, in lima. yeah in yeah. lima yeah god it's been ages i forgot about that <laughs> yeah that was really weird that was really was weird. that was that after argentina or was that like did you that come was back? after yeah okay. so after argentina i did uh, a road trip on the colectivos the long okay. distance buses yeah. around south america and okay. visited every spanish-speaking country oh wow and uh ended up in lima Tried to get up to Colombia on that trip and yeah. didn't manage to because there was a transportation strike. Okay. So I got stuck in uh, in yeah, Lima. Yeah, yeah. Was not super happy about it. Went out to to drink my troubles <laughs> away and ended up in a really weird situation. <laughs> I'd never been punched before. Yeah, um, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, if I, I, were, fell, I fell backwards as it happened, so it actually <laughs> could have been worse. It really could have been worse. Yeah, there's. I found a YouTube video, like a nine-year-old video of you talking about <laughs> you getting punched. That's how I kind of got the story. But um, the reason why I'm bringing up New Zealand, there's a couple of things. I remember getting this from you and actually got confirmed by a friend of mine who was living in New Zealand. Back then, like, internet was appalling, and it's been for a long time. It's much better yeah. now. Uh, I've been back in the years since. Okay. But, uh, and that was really, like, the one downside yeah. of the country, and yeah. that they've remedied mostly. Um, at the time, though, it was abysmal. It was really Because <laughs> you couldn't send emails of attachments. No, yeah, you couldn't send anything. <laughs> like, it was the only place I'd ever been, even back then, where you could go into a Starbucks, yeah. and there wasn't free Wi-Fi. Yeah. It was like... It's something like 10 bucks for a megabyte, 10 megabyte of data. Yeah, 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 it was something ridiculous. Yeah. Like you, and, and even that was not fast enough to Skype. Why? So, Why? yeah, it was at that point that I actually had to drop mm. the remainder of my branding consulting clients mm. that I'd kept. That's how I was making my living up yeah. until that point. And I ended up segueing into becoming an author yeah. as a consequence of the terrible internet in New right. Zealand. Yeah, because there was something about, I don't know if this is, I don't know how kind of romantized the story has been over the years, but it's, you were sitting on top of a mountain and that's when you realized that you had to kind of change your business model because that wasn't going to work anymore. And you thought, I've got some time now so I can write this book. D did you already have the idea of publishing then? Like, or was it just kind of, I'm going to write a book and see if it does well? 
to me at the time, books were things that I'd always loved. Yeah. I, I worked at a, an indie bookstore for five years when okay. I was in high school in the beginning years of university. And so I've always loved reading, yeah. but I didn't consider myself an author. And yeah. I had some journalism in my background. I'd written newspaper columns and mm -hmm. some blogging here and there. But I, I basically wrote my first book as like a marketing gimmick. Okay, yeah. Um, How to travel for free or yeah, something. Yeah, it, like. uh, it was about branding, actually. Yeah, it was okay. like a guide to personal branding, okay. which was a new thing yeah. at the time back in 2009. <laughs> and I, I knew quite a bit about it. I yeah. charged for my services. I thought yeah. maybe I'll put together a free PDF, call it an ebook. Yeah. Ebooks were big. The Kindle had just come out, so yeah. ebooks were this new sexy thing. I knew how to make one. I put it together, gave it away. That got people to come to the blog, was right. the, the idea. Um, the second one was kind of the same thing. It was another little freebie that I gave away. But I had so much. In the first six months, I think I had a few hundred thousand downloads wow. for those ebooks. Wow. And part of it, I'm sure, was just the novelty of a free ebook. That sure. wasn't something that was available. <laughs> yeah. it, it became a big thing since then. But yeah. you know, everybody has an ebook they give away to get you to sign up for the newsletter yeah, or whatever. 100%. Wasn't a big thing at the time, so it was considered to be very valuable. Wow. Uh, so I think people appreciated yeah. that. But it was enough that I thought, well, maybe you know, here I am in the middle of nowhere. This is not going to be the only time this happens. I'm mm. going to be in other places where I'm going to be removed from the internet in a meaningful way for and a, use that dead time, a distant amount of time. So what can I do? not being tethered to the internet like that. Yeah. And I looked at those books and I thought, well, I like books too. Yeah. Maybe I could write one that's valuable enough that people would give me money for yeah. it. And so I gave it a shot. That's crazy. And it took a little while to make anything yeah. meaningful off of it. Yeah. But eight months later, I was making all of my basic expenses off of my books. Okay. That's crazy though. Yeah. Like I, I, it, very fortunate. It, yeah. It's a time and place thing. A lot of the successes that I've had have been very much a time and place serendipity yeah. type of thing. And it often is. I mean, a lot of people yeah. often confuse that timing is actually also like, you know, it plays a big role in, yeah. in, in, in our kind of successes. And so this is 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. God, I'm so old. I know. Right. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> so, you know, when I was thinking about, okay, which direction to take this conversation, one of the first thing is, first of all, like just a quick update about, so are you still very much living that kind of lifestyle four months and readers dictate where you go, vote where you go. And do you still very much, or have you kind of come back to a more hybrid model of lifestyle? It's um, more of a hybrid these yeah. days. Uh, I did that more or less strictly yeah. that, that rule yeah. four months at a time with little adventures in yeah. between for about seven years. Um, and then after seven years of anything, you know, it, huh. the challenges, the frictions become a little bit predictable. <clears throat> so I knew I, I could keep doing that forever, potentially, and still learn more. But it didn't scare me yeah. anymore. It, yeah. it didn't give me the same type of thrill each time the way that it used to. Yeah. So I decided at that moment to, to mix things up. Um, and I realized what really scared me was the idea of buying furniture. Mm -hmm. Like really basic that that roots you down, dude. And I haven't I hadn't done it for yeah. seven years. Like I was I was in my 30s at this point. Yeah. And I had left the country when I was 24. I hadn't bought furniture yeah. in that amount of time. I hadn't gotten mail every day in that amount of time. I got mail like once or twice a year. Uh, I didn't have a like a, a rent that I had to yeah. pay consistently because I it, my rent would change or, every four yeah. months. I could try something new all of this time. And I was getting really concerned in the back of my mind that I might be this empty shell of a person if I yeah. didn't have constant novelty. Yeah. Um, 
it, it wasn't something that I had any reason necessarily mm -hmm. to believe, but I had this concern that maybe that stereotype will be true, that if you're hopping around and hopping and hopping, eventually it becomes the case that you can't stop. Mm. And for me, it was very important to prove to myself that that wasn't right. the case, to make sure that I could still grow, that I could still challenge myself and find the world interesting. It, it almost becomes part of your identity. It does. Right? It's like, oh, if you don't move every four months, Colin, then you're no longer... Interesting. You and no longer bring exactly. value. And what was I when I was not travel guy? Right. And so I decided to take a year and live someplace familiar or mm -hmm. familiar in, in the U.S., mm -hmm. a familiar country to me. So the challenges and frictions are familiar ones. Mm -hmm. And then making sure that I am forced to go out and find the interesting, the mm. challenges in that space. So I'm growing mm. in the same way. So I, I went to a place that I considered to be the most exotic place. <laughs> Uh, according to my experiences at that point in the U.S., Wichita, Kansas, um, <laughs> which is very exotic to me for many different reasons. It is the it, like the Missouri is the Midwest. Yeah. Wichita, Kansas is, Kansas is the Midwest. Yeah. It is. So for people listening to this like in the UK, who have no idea, right, about yeah. like uh, America in general, but more or less what Midwest actually entails. What yeah. feels like. Describe us a little bit more about like what's the vibe, what's the feeling there? It's so it's right in the middle of the country. Um, I mean, depending on who you ask, some people say more northern states <laughs> yeah. are Midwest. Some people say some of the southern yeah. states are Midwest. Broadly, though, it's right in the middle of the, okay. the country. And Kansas in particular is an incredibly um, conservative, traditionalist, libertarian, uh, ultra religious sort of place. And okay. a lot of the politics that brought like George W. Bush into yep. prominence and that eventually then later brought Trump into prominence mm -hmm. came from Kansas okay. and lawmakers and the Koch brothers and people like that who are billionaires okay. who live in, in Kansas. Um, Kansas is actually a lovely place. There's a lot to love about it. You don't want to drive across Kansas all in one drive because it's like 18 hours of nothing. <laughs> but there really is a lot of interesting history there. Yeah. There's one of the most incredible space museums I've ever been to. The Cosmosphere is in the middle of nowhere in a place <laughs> called, I think, Hutchinson, Kansas. Yeah. So there's a lot of random, beloved, uh, mm -hmm. really lovely, delightful things like that. Um, but importantly for me, it was also a place that was very bland mm. in the sense that I was familiar with all the brands. I was familiar with how people pay taxes and rent. I was familiar with the language. Everything was very easy. And so that was a perfect starting point to okay. me. So that typically the way I'd spent my life for seven years was that a good amount of my time was spent just trying to communicate with people. Right. And figure things out locally. Because yeah. one of the things we didn't talk about is like when your aims was to live like a local. Yeah. So you weren't staying in a hotel. You tried to avoid Airbnbs from what I could see. Well, they weren't around when I started. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so exactly the, right. <laughs> the idea was to try to show up and then, you know, figuring out what is milk and what is poison was mm. a legitimate concern for me <laughs> because all the brands are different. The language is different. Yeah. The packaging is different. Everything's yeah. different. In this place, everything was familiar yeah so I basically took the time and to start up a podcast mm -hmm. which I still run now three mm -hmm. years later that was uh, June 2016 was it something about China your first episode yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Gosh, it was 2016 um, I learned to play the piano yeah I learned to cook and eventually started baking traditional French bread <laughs> um, so like I found that when I had all of this additional time and mental yeah. bandwidth that was being spent on challenges related to travel mm -hmm. and just learning about a new culture I could invest it in other things instead got it and so I enjoyed it enough by the end of that year, I decided to do it for one more year. Okay. And I had my readers vote this time which state I would go to. Okay. They voted on Tennessee. I moved to Memphis, which okay. is a diametrically opposite place to yeah. Wichita, Kansas. I can imagine. So very educational, but also in the same way. Music, very culture. Uh, oh, yeah. History. Yeah, yeah. Civil rights movement. They, yeah, yeah. I mean, everything happened in, in Memphis, yeah. Kansas. Yeah. Or Memf uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. It's a remarkable place for so many reasons. But then after that, I decided, okay, I've... I've discovered myself in this new place. I don't feel that I might be this empty husk of a person. I still had a blast. I could easily continue to do that and still be happy. Okay, mm -hmm. what's next? Mm -hmm. 
And the next thing looking at my life that I found that scared me was <laughs> this, uh, this very niche subculture that I'd always been aware of but never really took seriously because it, it just seemed like such a stupid idea. Um, motorhomes and RVs. Okay. Um, like I had people ask me because van life and things like that are very big yeah, because yeah, of the yeah. Instagram thing now. People know, are like, I'm going to buy a van and make it. I didn't it know out. until last, like a couple of weekends when I went to Stag Do and one of the guys I think owns a van and every time we'd go past and there he was like hashtag van life yeah yeah i was like what is this it's van a life? big yeah. thing and and yeah. i can understand for there's a lot of reasons for okay. that um part of it's just branding part of it is um economic angst yeah, it's like, a very inexpensive yeah. thing to do potentially mm -hmm. usually not up front and not as much as people think but mm -hmm. it could be mm -hmm. uh and for me though that the van thing didn't appeal to me because i wanted like a toilet and a shower sure. and and i wanted to do it for a year potentially mm. to get something mobile and live in that mobile thing so i started doing research did about five <laughs> months of research and then three months of searching for the right motorhome mm -hmm. after that ended up with a class a 1985 holiday rambler imperial which is 33 feet i think that's like three meters or 10 meters okay very big yeah um stupidly large thing to drive down the road <laughs> with a tow car behind it and as part of that conception of this year-long motorhome <laughs> lifestyle full-timing i decided to do another thing that scared me okay. which was to plot and plan out my own continent-wide tour okay. which is something that i'd never done for myself i've yeah. toured with other people like a speaking tour you mean yes, yeah, yeah yeah and and i get speaking gigs usually three or four conferences and businesses yeah. and universities you know you launched samsung's year. phone like new phone or something i did yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The, what, what was it the eight or the six or something anyway yeah. it, it was a lot of fun I, I enjoy speaking but it wasn't something that i ever did super consistently mm -hmm. except when i was invited to tour with other people okay i thought that would be a fun thing to have mm -hmm. i want to understand the business model mm -hmm. when i do things like that i typically want to do it myself first before I start delegating mm -hmm. so I thought okay I'll do a year-long tour I'll plan it all myself I will tour around <laughs> in a motorhome and so I'll be learning about all of these things and it will be radically different from all the things I've done before okay. but similar in a way because I'll be traveling full-time but I'll also have like appliances sure. like I did at my homes yeah. in Wichita and Memphis yeah. so I could keep cooking and, and ostensibly save some money doing it yeah. that way that turned out not to be the case, but it was a very, very valuable journey nonetheless. Hundred percent. One of the one of the first things because I'm a parent now, so I was just thinking from like your parents' perspective when when you <laughs> left for like those seven years. Did did at any point, and I don't know what the situation with your parents, both your parents are still around, and what your relationship with your parent, but at any point, your parent, your mum, like the kind of the cliche stereotype was like, right, when are you going to come home? Like you know, this is this is all fun and game. You've you've done your shenanigans now. It's time to come look at your brothers and sisters. You know, they're settling down. They're having kids. You know, you're going to be a great uncle, but come home. <laughs> the, the siblings don't have kids yet, okay. but they're building toward it. Okay. Uh, and I'm very fortunate. I have an amazing family. Okay. I have three wonderful siblings. I have two loving parents. Mm -hmm. Very encouraging of everything that all of me and me and my siblings have always yeah. wanted to do. Uh, and they were great. I found out later okay. that they were terrified for me. They did not put that on me in wow. the moment. They did not make me feel even more worried okay. about other people when I was already worried about all the things I was sure. doing. So when I had that call from L.A. and I said, yeah, hey, you know, so that business that I'm running that's <laughs> doing really well and you, you know how you don't have to worry about me economically, I'm secure and everything's great. Um, so I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And also I'm giving away all my stuff. And yeah. also I'm going to be traveling around the world. And also strangers from the Internet are telling me where to go. <laughs> and all they said basically was, you know, we, we believe in you. We love you. We wow. care about you. We, we know you're going to make a, a great job at whatever you try. And if everything goes sideways, you have a plane ticket home. Yeah. 
Wow. It was, yeah. I didn't know it. It was exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah. It was wonderful and perfect. And to any parents out there listening, yeah. if you ever have that experience, yeah. if you can muster yeah. the courage to wow. say something like that, it makes all the difference <laughs> yeah, in luck, the world. Good luck. Good luck to good, my partner doing that. Oh, my God. <laughs> you, it, you, because then you feel like you have a safety net, but yeah. you don't want to have to use it. And so it makes you really want to, to work to yeah. succeed at what you're doing, but you also feel that somebody's got your back. Yeah which is an amazing feeling. Is there ever a place that you went and you were like, I don't want to go in four <laughs> months. Like it's too short, you know, whether that oh, was because of a yeah. relationship, someone you met, whether that's because you felt like there was so much more to explore, but did you have a strict rule of four months or did you allow to be flexible in certain? Some of them were flexible to a certain okay. degree. Okay. Um, in India, I lived in Calcutta for five months yeah. instead of four. Is that where you um, were part of a Bollywood commercial? <laughs> yeah, I was in a Bollywood commercial. I was a cowboy. <laughs> yeah, because you couldn't fit Michael Jackson's they, trousers. They wanted me <laughs> to be one of the two Michael Jacksons, um, but I couldn't fit in the pants. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> that was a really weird... It was like a 17-hour shoot, and it, it was during monsoon season, yeah. so it was like raining throughout yeah. the night, yeah. and we all got just devoured by mosquitoes and it was at this off-brand <laughs> disneyland called nico park right right uh it, everything about that thing was so trippy yeah like i i, I don't do any kind of drug <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. i feel like i know what that experience that was the is closest like. thing you did yeah it yeah. was so weird uh but but there i stayed an additional month because it took okay. me a full month to get my apartment there to get my phone ah, uh it's just, just to get settled it's the land of paperwork i never managed to get a phone i i put in the paperwork three times and then yeah. lost it three times. Okay. Uh, but the, the apartment thing was like that, but more complex. Yeah. So it took a whole month staying in a guest house before I had my own <laughs> Fair flat. enough. Yeah. But so it was a little bit flexible. Every single place I went to a certain degree, I didn't want to leave. Okay. But then the nice thing about that type of lifestyle in a way is yeah. that you do know that you're going to on to the next adventure. Yeah. And you do know that because we live in the future, mm. you are able to stay in touch with the people from, from that current lifestyle. Okay. You're able to go back potentially yeah. if you want. Uh, and a lot of the people that I've met around the world, I've met again in the future back yeah. there when I visit again okay. or in other places when they come to visit me sure. or we meet in the middle somewhere. Global village. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah. Right. I know you wrote a book, a few things about relationships. And it's the question that I know must come up in a lot of the conversations you have. So I know that you believe that you can have meaningful and deep relationships no matter how long they are, right? I think I, think I heard you say that. Mm. What did you learn about relationships over the last seven years, I guess? And then I, I want to say 10 years, but the seven years specifically where you kind of knew you were going to move on. Mm. What did you learn about relationships? I think it's really important that for everybody, yeah. no matter what your ideal relationship yeah. is or what you think it is to allow the shape of the relationship to reflect the people in it. Mm. So rather than going into it mm. and, and, and being saying, mold, but mold you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Rather than saying, here's this cookie cutter of a relationship mm. and we're going to put it over us and slice off all the bits that don't make sense. Yeah. You and your partner or partners, if yeah. that's your thing, yeah. figure out what you need, yeah. what you want, what you can give to each other, you know, what's missing, what you could fill in, what gaps you can fill in. Uh, and then build a relationship around that mm. rather than deciding it has to be a certain way. Uh, it doesn't, it, it's a good thing in some cases to use existing relationship types as a starting point. Right. I mean, that, like there's open relationships, oh, yeah. monogamy, well, monogamy, open poly. Yeah. There's no wrong relationship type as long as everybody's communicative, everybody's getting what they need and nobody is being hurt mm. or coerced. And if you have open channels of communication, <clears> you can continue to evolve that structure. Yeah. Uh, but lacking those things mm. and lacking the desire to make it work and lacking mm. the desire to make sure that everybody gets what they need from it, mm. you're kind of setting yourselves up to either fail or sit and silently suffer. Mm. And that's not ideal. I mean, you can make arguments that in the past, people just, there were a lot of economic reasons for sure. relationships and sure. we're doing it for the kids. We don't need to have this yeah. other stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
that was probably the case at certain points in human history, but you know, we expand our value systems all the time. And today, I don't think it's too much to ask mm. for us to be able to build things that make sense for us as individuals, yeah. rather than doing things out of tradition because, or ritual yeah. or laziness, mm. just because we haven't taken the time to think about mm -hmm. it, uh, or ignorance, not knowing what the other person needs. But you must have maybe learned the hard way, I'm gonna guess. Like when you first started off, did you already, already in that mindset of clarity and openness and truth from the get-go or did you realize that oh actually i need to be upfront about mm. that in four months i'm leaving and i'm not taking this relationship onwards i mean was there a part of you that you thought oh i need to change something or something needs to evolve there there wasn't any devastating okay. story for that thankfully um yeah. it wasn't as clear to me when i first started but okay. it became very clear very quickly uh and i and i was always upfront about everything and actually being that upfront about my unusual circumstance yeah. and situation made it easier to then kind of create a rhythm around okay. you meet somebody new somebody that you like just communicate yeah. just put it put your cards on the table there's yeah. going to be things that change and things you learn along yeah. the way and things that you're willing and capable of bending on yeah but <clears throat> there's also things that you already know and and this idea that we have to play games with each other and hold sure. things back and that you know it's good to be mysterious <laughs> yeah, and like play it coy yeah. and not call for three days like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all nonsensical i mean sure. do what you need to do if there's yeah. something in there that you absolutely have to do in order to feel something mm -hmm. cool but maybe interrogate why you feel that way yeah and figure out if that's something that actually serves you and the relationship, mm -hmm. or if it's just something that you're doing out of habit. There's um, there's something that I, I'm, I'm guessing that, may, was there ever a relationship where the girl's like, yeah, yeah, sure, Colin, I'll make you change your mind. <laughs> like, you know, I know you're saying you're gonna be moving on in four months, but you'll see by the end of four months, you want me to, and then going, but wait, I thought you were joking. Right, right. No, I got, I, I was pretty careful about that. Okay. It, something from the beginning that I was pretty, careful about doing was making sure that I paid attention not just what was being said but what was being implied mm. and when somebody made it pretty clear mm. through behavior action body language whatever else mm. that they were not like totally into the idea that they didn't think it was neat okay. or even beneficial or desirable yeah. in some then ways to have yeah. something then I just thought Maybe. no it's it's better not to do it yeah this isn't a cool person I don't want to hurt this person yeah, yeah. it doesn't make sense it, it's not worth it I'd rather go mm. without a relationship than having a relationship that's going to be super flawed from the get-go yeah. or something that I know is going to end up with somebody getting yeah. hurt and something changed i mean this i think was back 2012 i could be wrong but you met someone was it iceland mm. or somewhere mm -hmm. that you ended up having like a year relationship with or it was it was like three and a half actually. three and a half yeah yeah oh wow over the course of many years yeah. and multiple locations yeah. and uh, several off and on periods too okay. where we went and dated other people right because that was that was something that we really want to also talk about because the, the only other person i've kind of heard talk about this more in an open fashion is aubrey marcus founder of on it um, and talked about this concept of, oh, uh, I think you said long distance open relationship. I, I forgot mm. what it was. Tell us a bit more about basically the concept because most people, traditional relationship model is monogamy. Right, right. At all cost, no matter what you really want, no matter what you feel both of you is needed for this relationship, but we're right. going to stick to this because that's what the traditional model has been. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to make an assumption that you've experimented with different types of mm, relationship. For people who have got no idea, like what, what would be your interpretation or what's been your experience of, of open relationships? Yeah, so open relationship is kind of like <clears throat> AI, where it's a very broad term that okay. applies to a bunch yep. of different stuff that may or may not actually fit cool. within. 
under the header of what people consider okay. to be AI. Um, <laughs> you know, polyamory is a little bit easier because polyamory implies that there's a big set of rules and okay. there's generally primaries and secondaries and yes, people who are that's like the way that pri yeah, yeah. primary relationship yeah. and then secondary ones right. and then sometimes it's shared relationships yeah. and triads and things. It's very complex. I've tried it. It's, okay. it's not for me, but I know yeah. some people who are very happy with that. That's yeah. totally cool. Open relationships, you kind of have to define the rules for yourself, but okay. it implies that generally there is somebody that you're seeing okay. who is your, your partner that yeah. you're in an open relationship with. And then by some means and according to some type of rule or setup that you've got, you also see other people. Okay. The way that I've typically done it and the way that it's worked best, because I, I actually found we were open to having each other date when we were in the same place too, but yeah. we kind of just wanted to spend our time with each other. Yeah. And, and sometimes we would date other people together, which was fun too. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah, sometimes when it made sense, because we had the yeah. same type and she was bi, and, and yeah. so we it, the opportunity was there. Yeah, yeah. But in most cases, we found it made the most sense when we were apart, because when we were together, we mostly wanted to spend time okay. with each other. So yeah. the option was on the table if we ever really wanted to. Yeah. But just knowing that we could meant that we didn't feel that we had to. Yeah. Uh, just we didn't feel constrained. 100%. Uh, but then when we were apart, especially when we were apart for six months or something like that, mm -hmm. and we knew that was going to be the case, we'd still stay in touch and we'd still communicate. We were still dating and yeah. we were still making plans for the future. The next time we would meet up, the yeah. next time we would live together um, and still care about each yeah. other. But then we'd also have other people. That and would you talk about those? Would you talk about, oh, I met a girl yeah. last night. We were an hour. was really great. Like, we would. You, we would. Yeah. I, I know people who do open relationships who don't. Okay. And that's just something they either don't want to yeah. or it makes it more difficult. Okay. Uh, the rationales and reasons are all over the map. Yeah. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Again, as yeah. long as nobody's getting hurt, everybody's communicative. Sure. You know, you're making sure that everybody's needs are served. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for us, it worked out really well that way. Okay. And it was something that... We continued to adjust and tweak over the years, yeah. and it was a and then it was something too that eventually we said, "Hey, is this still serving us?" Okay, and we kind of realized, no, actually, we <clears> both <throat> wanted to do different things, and it was great. Yeah, and neither one of us regret it, and we still meet up when we're in the same place. Cool. But uh, yeah, yeah. Then we we decided to move on, and yeah. both of us actually have tried all kinds of different things. I'm yeah. in a monogamous relationship right now. It's <laughs> great. Okay. Um, Again, no right or right, wrong way yeah. to do it, just as long as it fits the people yeah. inside the relationship. Well, and I think that's the theme that I kind of want to want to bring us towards the, the end of the conversation is around what I loved about your story and what I love about what I feel the message is, is this concept of intentionality mm. and about purpose, really. And and for people who are not really aware about what the idea of living an intentional life, what's your kind of, uh, I don't want to say like the... Twitter version of it, but like, what, what, would be like, what would be like a kind of the essence, I guess, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of what you believe to be an intentional life? It's just doing things on purpose mm. and knowing what that purpose is. Mm -hmm. So rather than just doing things yeah. out of habit or routine or ritual or tradition or laziness because mm -hmm. you haven't taken the time to think about it, mm. with literally everything that you do, you could actually stop yourself and say, why am I doing this and why am I doing it in this specific way? Mm -hmm. And then you can question that. And in some cases, you'll say, oh, I'm doing it because of this. And actually, that makes sense because of this, this, and this. Mm. But in a lot of cases, with a lot of things in our lives, we do it because we've like inherited certain ideas, yeah. certain rituals and routines, certain concepts of the way things we should be. We don't question them. And if you do actually do it, it's mm. like mind boggling. Like, oh my God, I've been spending all of this time doing this thing in this way and mm. I never thought to do it. And now that I have had that thought, yeah. it changes everything. Sure. And allowing yourself to do that and realize, uh, and allowing yourself to realize that it's not um, antagonistic toward the past mm -hmm. and it's not antagonistic toward other people. Different mm -hmm. people can live in different ways. And that 
you can get just an incredible amount of value out of your life and out of your time mm. that was always there, but you weren't utilizing toward your actual goals. Mm -hmm. You were utilizing towards somebody else's ideas of goals or utilizing towards something that was just absorbing all of that time and energy yeah. without giving you back the proper amount of value that you could be getting. Get if you can reallocate all that stuff and focus it on things that actually matter, you're going to be in a much better state. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's also this concept that I heard you once talk about around, and if you know what you want, then also intentional life is about is this helping me get towards that? Yeah. Was that helping me go further away from that? So almost not a filter, but a compass almost kind of. Yes. That's, you know, that's the way I tend to imagine yeah. it actually. It's, it's, uh, you know, and it's not always possible to know the exact coordinates sure. of where you'd like sure. to be. And those will change over the course yeah, yeah, of your yeah. life too. If you're yeah. growing, you know, where you want to be will change. Yeah. Uh, who I am five years from now will want something probably substa substantially different from what I want today. 100%. But you can be heading in the general right direction. Yeah. And the more you know about yourself and the more you interrogate these ideas and question yourself yeah. as to what you actually want, what that looks like, the more accurately you can calibrate mm. that compass to make sure you're at least heading as close as possible to the direction that makes sense for you now. Right. There's, I think I'm going to butcher this quote. It's from Jim Carrey, but he said something like, <laughs> I wish everybody could be rich and famous so they could see that it's not the answer to life. Mm. Right. And I feel like I, I feel very much aligned with what you're saying. I've interviewed a bunch of people around that. I feel like a lot of people who've experienced wealth or experienced success in the traditional setting of big house, mm. you know, cars or this stuff, realize that it doesn't bring fulfillment and meaning. It's great. I'm not going to spit on it. Right. And a lot of people will say, yeah, that's easy for you to say that, but I still want that. And I want to make my, my own mind. What would you want to say to someone listening who is still chasing that conventional, I want to say, without putting a judgment on it, but that conventional goal of material possessions, job mm. titles, wealth, all this kind of stuff. What, what's the message you want to share with them? I mean, I would say first off that there is a good chance that there's somebody out there. There's like seven and a half billion people on the planet. Probably somebody will be made very happy by just having infinite dollars. Yeah. There, there is somebody out <laughs> yeah. there yeah. who their time is best spent on running on that treadmill and making more and more money because yeah. that actually is the thing that will make them happier than mm -hmm. anything else. For most of us, though, that's not the case. It's mm -hmm. an idea that we've been sold. And allowing yourself to question that and allowing yourself to slowly but surely kind of figure out, you know, what do I like other than that? Mm. What, what do, what is it that makes my heart sing? What makes me yeah. wake up in the morning and think, what do I get to do today? Yeah. Uh, looking at those things over and over and allowing yourself to consider how you might optimize for those things mm -hmm. and take some of the same things that you've been using to optimize for other stuff, for certain metrics of success, mm -hmm. and instead optimizing for these other metrics of mm -hmm. success. Sorting through that and recognizing the potential and possibility uh, allowing yourself to consider it to begin with, but then also starting to walk that path. It's something that tends to illuminate a lot about mm. your life and a lot mm. about the way that you live. Mm. And it's something that over time um, usually makes people more fulfilled and happy, even if their initial ideas about where they'd like to be are not correct. <laughs> um, most of us and myself very much included in this, yeah. when you first starting start to think about these types of things, those mu muscles are atrophied yeah. severely because sure. they're just not things that we're, we yeah. we're not told to use them. And for a lot of reasons, there's a lot of incentives to keep us moving in a particular sure. direction using a, a specific set of metrics mm -hmm. that are broadly aligned with economic development. Mm -hmm. um, stepping outside of that is good. It doesn't mean that money's worthless. 
I no. mean, at a certain point, you need to have a certain amount of money to sure. exist. I, I don't know about here, but in the United States, they will actually let you die if you don't make enough money. Yeah. So, like, it's important to have a certain yeah, amount yeah. of money. A threshold, right. Uh, yeah, but that and every other possible metric, there is a threshold that once you reach it, yeah. any more money poured into it and you get diminishing returns. Got it. And at that point, you can start to take your time, energy, and resources and spend them on, on other things and get something that much better supports mm. what will actually make you happy. Yeah, because I heard you say that now it's not so much about possessions or about things but more about your time yeah like with the thing that you really value more than anything now is time because you know you have only infinite amount of time yeah and and time's non-renewable too like i this is something i realized back in la before i left actually that you know i could have a billion dollars sitting in my checking account and that would not buy me my 20s back (laughs) yeah or my 30s or my 40s or any amount of time that i spent doing nonsense that i didn't care about for money Mm. um that money wouldn't buy me those moments back. You cannot get more mm. moments back. And mm. until we reach a point where maybe we can dramatically extend lifetime or our biological lifetime or upload ourselves to the internet <laughs> or something, like I'm down with that. That's cool. Yeah. You know, we can reconsider some of these concepts if mm-hmm. that becomes the case. As it is, we have a ticking clock mm. and you can always make more money if you need it. Mm. Um, you can never get more time. So it's, it's really important to consider what your conversion rate is on those mm. two things when you're exchanging one for the other. What's your relationship to death? Ooh, it's a thing that happens. Mm. It's, it's not, I don't romanticize it. I'm, I'm not uh, religious, so mm. I, don't have, I don't think anything happens after it personally. Uh, give me data on it and I'll be like, okay, that's cool. Really? It'd be nice if something if happened you, after If you could know your date that you would die, oh, would you want to know it? Yeah, yeah. I don't see... Well, actually, I do see how that could happen. Um, chaos theory. You know, we could potentially yeah. figure out the beginning states of things and work out the end states okay. of things. That's <laughs> something I'm very interested in, and that's potential. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would want to know. Yeah. I'm, I'm always somebody... I don't think I've ever come across something that I wouldn't want to know if I was able to. Okay. I can understand why people wouldn't want to know, right. but I don't think that would deter me. Okay. I know I'm going to die. Yeah. I've had three moments that I could remember where I thought I was going to. Really? Um, but actually to me, those moments were incredibly valuable. They were Mm. all while traveling Mm. and like one in particular that sticks in my head was the airplane. Um, I always look to the flight attendants because they know what's going on. They've, (laughs) they've experienced every type of movement and shift and noise. And if they're panicking, you know, it's a problem. If they're not, it's good. Yeah. These flight attendants had tears in their eyes. They were, you know, shuffling around, like looking crazy eyed, trying to figure out, you know, oh my God, is this how I die? Like the plane was shifting backwards and forwards and up and down in a crazy way. We were all pretty sure we were going to die. And I had this thing flash through my head, like, well, you know, it was a good life. You know, if it's got to happen, at least you're doing it like this. You're you're not, you haven't put off potentially risky things to Mm. accept the reality of other risks, like Mm. getting hit by a car or dying of heart disease back in the same place that you've always lived your entire Mm. life. You're going off and doing stuff. And Every time something like that happens, it, one, reinforces that idea that I'm doing it right because I feel good about what I'm doing. And if I Mm -hmm. have to die, at least I'm dying doing something that I want to be doing. I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, But then it also makes me really, really treasure those remaining moments that I have. No, 100%. Love that. And and I've got a few questions. One of them is, um, did you feel, what was the kind of the... I don't want to say the result because it's a weird question, right? But what, what, what was different about when the minimalism documentary came out on Netflix because you're featured in that, that mm. documentary. Did you feel like, was there any kind of before and after from that documentary for you? Was there anything did you get? Probably more so for Josh and Ryan. Yeah. I mean, they, 
they are doing so well and yeah. it's been so cool to see and yeah. a big part of it has be, been become a, because of that documentary yeah. that has scaled things up dramatically yeah. and brought those messages the 20 to million audience. I think they're on now oh it's insane and it's it's great it's amazing yeah, it's that it worked mad. out and it's a, it is a great message yeah. and they're great guys to carry that message yeah. for me I mean I've I've definitely had emails from people who said that they saw me in that okay. first and people come out to the talks will mention it from yeah. time to time um, but nothing drastic nothing yeah, yeah. nothing dramatic it's yeah. not like you know every once in a while authors uh, or speakers or podcasters will get stopped on the street like once a month and yeah. then you, it's kind of like fun like oh yeah. somebody knows my work yeah. but it's not like people being on TV yeah, yeah, yeah. where you get stopped all the time I, get, I don't I get, have that experience I get that. how do they come across you because I mean I, I remember when I interviewed them when I was doing the research I'm pretty sure they came across your work or something like that like one of the oh Josh yeah like one of the inspirations for them to start The Minimalist was was like your blog or like yeah, having yeah. a conversation with you so you know I know and, and you're a humble guy and, and you're probably going to be squeamish by me saying <laughs> this but it feels like you were one of the original inspirations of, of the minimalist.com and you know that kind of movement you're part of those people who kind of make, gave that name and gave that that movement a face oh they I met Josh he reached out on Twitter Actually, yeah. um, I actually, and I, I met my current girlfriend on Twitter really? too. So I mean, despite all the problems with social media, you can build some amazing relationships. Wow. Uh, that, that was how Josh and I originally That's met. That's crazy. And we eventually sat down and yeah, talked yeah. about writing. Because you guys co-founded the publishing um, uh, asymmetrical company, Press. Asymmetrical, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, we were publishing some other authors for a while, okay. uh, but now we're just doing my books and their books. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's cool. just it's it's kind of a holding brand for yeah. for those uh, those particular books of this particular kind cool. right now. Colin, we're coming to the end of the interview. Uh, I so many more questions to ask, but I'm sure <laughs> we'll have we'll find each other in, in another place. Um, first, I want to acknowledge you just for a moment before I ask you a few final questions, and and that is it's been really cool to kind of first of all dive into your story dive into your background but also as i was going through the research to see just have a commitment you made to this kind of lifestyle and not so much for the look how cool i am but actually this is who i really am and this is what's true to me it may not work for you but it mm -hmm. works for me and, and this big message that i keep on hearing around you is ask yourself what does something valuable mean to you mm. not what someone else tells you and i love the fact that you're propelling that message around asking people to ask themselves the big important questions so thank you on behalf of everybody who's kind oh, of been following you thank and, you and, for that and, and for that movement and i'm glad that comes across yeah um what's one thing that most people don't know about you what is oh there's so many things you know i used to in, in a past life uh i was pretty certain i was going to become a comic book illustrator <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> and I was really good at math when I was a kid. Yeah, that disappeared around high school. But, okay, uh, for a long while too, I yeah. was really, really into the idea of becoming a chaos theorist. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got excited around the chaos. Yeah, thing. yeah. so comic books and chaos theory yeah. are they they play an important role in the foundational structure yeah. of everything. Do you that still I know draw today? Yeah, yeah, and actually, I segued from from illustrating comic books into painting okay. and doing fine art and then fine art into design. And okay. that eventually led to branding. Cool. Yeah. Awesome stuff, man. If you, uh, have you been to Piccadilly Circus uh -huh. in London? Yeah. Do you know the kind of the, the vibe? It's kind of Times Square-ish of mm -hmm. London. And there's like a digital board at the top and there's a writing that you could put on that board that everybody's going to see and read when they walk by. What would you want that message to be? Oh, gosh. You know, maybe something to <laughs> to borrow from from the titles of one of my books. Actually, mm. um, you have exactly one life in which to do everything you'll ever do. Mm. Act accordingly. Mm. Just that little reminder. It's something we all know, yeah. but we don't allow ourselves to acknowledge on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think if we did, it might shift 
yeah. um, for the better, a lot of the, the things that we do and how we spend our time. Yeah. So just that, that reminder, that uh, memento mori to a certain degree, okay. you know, the, the, the reminder that you're going to die, sure. but in a kind of polite way that allows Calling to forth. To, yeah, and it allows yeah. you to do w- whatever you will. I'm yeah. not, not prescribing anything to do based on that. Just, just remember, Love just that. think about that. Yeah, two final questions. Number one, and I, and I borrowed this question taken from Lewis Howes from the School of Greatness podcast, but the idea is all your books have been erased. All your blogs have been erased. Your websites are down. And it's your final day. It's time for you to, to go and you know. And someone asks you to write down on a piece of paper three truths that you've learned about life, specifically maybe around your time traveling around the world, mm-hmm. that you've learned about us as humans, us as a society. And you get to write down these three truths that you want to pass on. What would those three truths be? Mm. The first thing that came to mind is that people are generally good. Mm. Everywhere you go on the planet, um, given the opportunity, people are ge- like 99.99999% of the people on the planet are good. Mm. The very small percentage that gets all the news coverage and that do the horrible things, yeah. um, they a make minority. everybody else look bad. But in general, no matter what you've been talk- told about any group or any country or whatever, people are generally good. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that we have the opportunity to change foundational things. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that we take for granted and mm-hmm. just assume that this is the way things are. Um, you're born into a democracy. You're born into a capitalistic system. You're born into a system with X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You're born into a system with certain family structures. All of these things are potentially changeable. Not all of them have to be changed. Mm. But the recognizing that fact that structurally our realities are perched upon like mm. 70 million layers of assumptions, <laughs> that's something that allows yeah. us the opportunity to consider and reconsider mm-hmm. a lot of fundamentals that we consider to be concrete and unchanging. Love that. Um, and then three, I don't think that there's any, I was going to say something about the meaning of life (laughs) to get really deep here. Um, I I think that like meaning and life is whatever you make of it. Mm. Um, you could decide that there is meaning to it and say that now everything I do is a heroic act and therefore should be taken about with the utmost seriousness. Or you could say, there's no meaning to life mm. at all. You know, nothing that I do will matter. Um, you know, everything that I do will be forgotten within a very short period after I've, I'm dead. Or if I am a Leonardo da Vinci and managed to last for a while, well, the sun's going to explode after a certain period anyway. <laughs> the universe will experience heat death. Like, it won't be around. Yeah. It's not meaningful in an infinite, long-lasting way. So what's even the point? In either case, though, you can take that and decide to live a good life. Mm. No matter what you think mm. happens no matter what you think happens <coughs> after you die or what you think happens to the world or what you think is the fundamental of life and mm-hmm. matter and reality you can still look at that and decide to be happy mm. and decide to make other people's lives good and decide mm-hmm. to do all kinds of good smile inspiring things as opposed to using it as an excuse to take the lazy route mm. of being a cynic mm. love that final question what does being unconventional mean to you Probably just being yourself mm. um, and being the best possible version of yourself that you can be. Mm. It's from a brand perspective, there's <laughs> no more competitive, um, easily defendable brand than you. And just becoming a more and more refined version of yourself over time. No one can be a better you than you. So, <laughs> so you know, true. if you're if you're trying to be the next so on and so forth, so is everybody else. Yeah. But if you're just trying to be you, if yeah. you figure out who you are and sand down some of your rough edges and sharpen other ones, you're in a very good spot. Mm. Um, and allowing yourself to reflect that, not just yeah. outwardly in terms of your work and marketing materials, but also inwardly and realizing that the things that make you, you specific from yeah. everybody else on the planet, 
whether or not those are things that are celebrated by mm. society or celebrated by the metrics of success mm. that you've been sold on, those things are you. Yeah. And you can do whatever you want with them, but allowing them to be a beneficial aspect of mm. your life is probably a good move. Yeah, love that. And, and also, I just want to add just to something really quick on that is sometimes it's not even celebrated by the individual, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. the person who's like, I shouldn't be celebrating this. Right. this. This is something that I've been shaming or I'm not owning or I'm afraid of of owning that that's also something that they should take and and, and, th- and there are things that are, are are worth sanding down i mean yeah. if you're just a messy person <laughs> that's not something fundamental to your personality that's something that you could change and you could yeah. benefit other aspects of yourself sure. by becoming neater that's yeah. not uh, i'm not saying that you should just embrace all the things that annoy yeah. you and your family and <laughs> are bad for you too it's like i'm an unhealthy person guess i can't change anything because i am a, i am remarkable i am i am a completely different <laughs> from everybody else in the way that i'm messy no you could change that you could not mm. but the more fundamental things, your character traits as opposed mm. to your behaviors, I think, mm. uh, and, and the way that you see the world and the things that you want, those are things worth embracing and assessing and uh, and shaping appropriately. I love that. So you've got a podcast. I People do. Listen to, you've got a podcast where you talk about news and you, and you give your kind of take on, I was listening to one of socialism and mm. you've got a bunch of very, very wary, wide and varied topics, which makes sense now. You said you had a bit of a journalist background and right. you love writing. And it made a lot of sense of how these, what's the name of the show? Where can people get it? It's called Let's Know Things yep. and you can get it wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, Let's Know Things. Fantastic. And where do you hang out most online? Where can people connect with you if they want to follow up this conversation or follow you online or... Uh, if you go to colin.io, yeah. it's Colin with one L. That's yeah. where all my books and it links out to all of my different projects. And then I'm at Colin is my name yeah. on most social networks. Fantastic. Colin, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's taken five years for us to come <laughs> here, but I'm so glad we did and we had to reschedule even this. And I almost rescheduled today because I felt really terrible this oh, morning. No. I woke, yeah, because it's my birthday this weekend oh, and I decided, birthday. thank you very much, I decided to go in the sea, which was a terrible idea. It was six degrees. <laughs> I didn't have anything to kind of wrap myself up when I went out. I caught cold. But I'm so glad uh, we showed up. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all that you do. Thank you very much. It was really a pleasure. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's powerful conversation as much as I did conducting it and being present and picking Colin's brain. I'm really grateful for his for his honesty and for his willingness to open up about all sorts of topics. It's why I continue doing these these interviews. If there's a guest you'd love for me to feature on the show, get in touch. Let me know at Mark Roost. I'm available everywhere on social media, particularly on Instagram. If you want to hear a bit more about Colin, then you can go over on the show notes uh, at markroost.com forward slash episode forward slash one two one to get in touch. You can pretty much find him everywhere on Colin is my name at Colin is my name. Everyone social media and of course his website exile lifestyle and colin.io is where you'll find it and i wanted to give you a quick reminder two things one if you want to launch a podcast make sure to join me on the 20th of september grab the eager beaver tickets they'll never be never be this cheap again where you can come out and hang out with a group of like-minded purpose-driven people trying to launch an amazing podcast from scratch and, and I'm going to help you go through all that. And I'll, and I'll give an episode a bit later on a bit more about the details around that. And the second thing is, I'd love for you to leave a rating and review on iTunes. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to share it with a friend. Thank you so much for sticking around. I'm really excited actually about a soda round. is going to be the next episode. So looking forward to that. And then we've got some amazing guests lined up. Until then, have yourself an amazing week. Enjoy the slightly warmer weather, depending on where you are. And hopefully summer will be coming, hitting at your door anytime soon. Lots of love. Keep up the good work. And remember, don't give up the fight.